0: You're listening to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to 1514. If you're just joining us for the very first time, welcome to the podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. If you've been listening for any amount of time, we thank you for coming back and and continuing to listen. Today, uh, we're having an opportunity to interview Joy Forrest. So Joy, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate you having me.
0: So Joy, would you mind going ahead and introducing yourself to our audience?
1: Sure. Um, I am a biblical counselor. Um, got my training at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary back in the early 2000s. And um, I am also the founder of Call to Peace Ministries, which is a um, nonprofit, non denominational um, nonprofit that is focused on providing help and healing for those who have been victimized by domestic abuse.
0: Yeah, well, we really appreciate you doing that type of ministry as well as starting starting that specific ministry. That's a, a challenging um, challenging issue that we face. I, I hate calling things that involve people issues or topics, but the reality is those are specific trials that face people. But um, could you tell everybody how, maybe how you got into that line of ministry and how you started Called to Peace?
1: Yes. Um Uh, When I was just a teenager, I got involved in an abusive relationship. Um, I was uh, a Christian at the time, and he said he was a Christian. So I assumed that the Lord would just bless whatever (laughs) came about as we decided to get married. And we dated for eight years, and then uh, there was no physical abuse. There was really, I I had no clue what to look for. And so um, got into the marriage, did not believe in divorce when things started getting really bad. I mean, it was not always physically abusive, but there was always this covert control, um, a lot of intimidation. I was very afraid of him, lived in constant fear of man. And so over the years, you know, we would have a crisis and I would reach out for uh, counseling many times. I would go to we would go to our pastor, church leader. Um, but I counted at least a dozen pastors and counselors that we went to over the years and nobody, nobody even touched the problem. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to 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 find out what was going on in our marriage. The only thing that I would say is a, you know, abused spouse coming in for counseling was maybe I'm, you know, if I was really upset about what just happened, I might say, well, he has a little anger issue, mm-hmm. but I'm not about to tell Anybody that I'm being abused physically, especially, and you know, with him in the room, and I had to be really careful about what I was saying. Um, but even when I went to pastors and counselors one on one afterwards, still they didn't know what to do, they were at a loss, and it became so volatile and got so bad. I didn't believe in divorce, and so I kept going back to the point that my daughter says, Mom, why do you keep going back? And I said, Well, God hates divorce. She said, He hates divorce, but He's gonna hate it a lot more when my mom is dead. And so she had more wisdom than I did. I just, um, I kept myself um, under the law and didn't understand God's heart for those who are being abused and oppressed. And so when I was, you know, was at the lowest point, I said, Lord, if you help me live through this, I will help other women who are in this situation. And he has really held me to it.
0: Mm, wow. Uh, that, that, um such a true Testimony, I think, for so many people who are in counseling and in biblical counseling, is that they got into it because they first received good counsel. But you're actually coming into it from the angle of there wasn't great counsel out there, and I wanted to fill this hole. Um, So thank you for thank you for being faithful to do that. Uh, You actually had reached out to me with with this recommendation, and uh, I so. Another appeal to anybody, if you have an, an idea for the podcast, please contact us at podcast at biblicalcc.org, because you had um, heard me make that appeal before, and you've worked with Chris Moles and others in, uh, in training on domestic violence and how to counsel that, and we've had Chris on the show before, and uh, as we were talking about before, his focus is primarily on working with the perpetrators, the, the abusers. Um, his heart, his book, "The Heart of Domestic Abuse," uh, offers a lot of principles for both sides. But his big thing is: you're, if you want to stop domestic violence, change the hearts of men. But you had reached out with a particular focus that you wanted to talk about the the importance of having a team uh, counseling in in whenever the couple comes, uh, having a team approach to it. Could you flesh out that idea a little bit? For us, for those who might not be familiar with that concept,
1: yeah, and well, Chris and I are both um, trained in secular models as well as um, being biblical counselors, so it's a very unique perspective, I think. Um, But one thing that we we know from the secular models is that a team approach works far better than just one-on-one counseling um, or even any any type of intervention alone. So Chris does batterer intervention groups, and we know that those work better than counseling alone, you know, or they actually work better. If you had a choice between counseling and a batterer intervention group, the group would work better hmm. um, based on research. But now um, what we are finding is it, they are calling it a community coordinated response in the world so that you would involve all these different um, aspects, uh, you know, people helpers to come alongside because one alone is not going to be enough to to, um, untangle this messy issue because it is extremely messy and it takes a lot of different eyes on the problem to really figure out what's going on and to come up with um, an intervention plan that's going to um, really help everybody involved. And so Chris works more with the perpetrators and we work more with the victims. um, And so we, Um, We really believe that having a domestic violence advocate is crucial to a crucial part of uh, an effective team um, approach. So if you don't have somebody who has that kind of training on your team, uh, an advocate is particularly important because Um, Most of the time, victims of domestic abuse suffer from complex post-traumatic stress. And so because of that, they are not the best people to even get the information from. You need an advocate who can get in there and work with the victims. I love that Chris said one time, he said, an advocate can take the 30,000 words that a victim gives you and, and turn it into five bullet points that a pastor or a counselor can digest We know how to get in there and work with the trauma. We know how to understand, is this truly abuse? I know that a lot of times pastors get tripped up on that. Is it abuse, really? Because he's saying that she's abusive. So we have screening tools so we can go in and say, yes, this fits the profile of what we consider to be domestic abuse. And so we are able to help pastors and counselors um, sort out what's truly going on. And so it's a different role even than counseling. And like we can't underestimate the value.
0: So I want to real quick ask you, are those tools, those resources available, the the screening tools that you have uh, on your website, or how would a pastor or somebody get a hold of those?
1: Um, we do have um, a copy of the power and control wheel that's on our website. And the reason I use that is because for years I told myself I was not being abused, even though there had been physical violence in my home. Um, and And I kept saying, it's not abuse. It's not abuse until I saw this, this tool called the power and control wheel that was created by the Duluth model up in um, Minnesota. But it was based on just observation of a a group of about, I think, 200 victims of abuse. And they had common, um, there were common tactics used by abusers. And when I saw that, I went, wow, it's like somebody that was a fly on the wall in my house for the last, Mm. you know, 15 years. And most of the women that that we have worked with, and I've worked with well over a thousand victims at this point, they all can relate to at least one or two um, of those tactics on that power and control wheel. So that's a good, um, you know, preliminary uh, screening tool. Um, And then sometimes it's way more covert. And so that's when, you know, having an advocate to come alongside can be very helpful. But I think that if you've got somebody that's reporting all any of those tactics on the power and control wheel, the financial abuse, the intimidation, the isolation, um, you know, using male privilege, there's, there are eight different tactics that are listed on there. Um, and you can find it at calltopeace.org. It's our website. Um, and we even have uh, some warning signs and checklists even on our website under resources, I believe.
0: Oh, great. Well, that's really good. Now, uh, I want to talk specifically about the role of an advocate in a, in a little bit, but uh, to fill in some details on the team approach, because some people might not even be familiar with that. Who makes up the team? Is this people within the church? People? Uh, does it involve authorities? Like, If you were going to put together a, a, a team yourself or in a, in a local church, what would that look like and who would participate?
1: I believe that, you know, with the community coordinated response, they may include, um, you know, batter intervention specialists from the local batter intervention program. They might Im- involve law enforcement. For me, um, I mostly work with cases that haven't gotten to the point of bringing in uh, the police that often. And so um, what we do is we work with churches and we'll, we'll go and then help them make a plan um, to, um, you know, if, if uh, the victim is willing and if it's possible, then we would even talk to them about what restoration would look like, marital restoration, um, or, you know, how can you save a marriage like that? And we ha- we do understand that the statistics are not that great with um, these kinds of situations turning around. So we we do talk to them about that. But a team would look like um, having someone to work with the perpetrator. So um, an intervention specialist, we do refer out to the community batterer intervention group Um We would have a pastor. I would love to see an accountability partner for the perpetrator. And we have an advocate for the um, victim. And then she probably needs her own counselor. So, you know, we've got several people that are involved on this team. And so, you know, at least one pastor from the church, um, because they are kind of overseeing everything and they need to be educated enough to to know that it's going to take you know, this is, in this case, it really takes a village. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's great too, because it's, it's interesting that the world sees the need for more than one person community involvement. And there's, I'm sure there's lots of benefits both for the the individual counselor. I know carrying some of those heavy counseling cases, when you feel alone, it's, it's even more burdensome. Uh, but being able to, I mean, the best counseling I've ever seen always takes place in the, in the, local church, when the body mm-hmm. can come alongside that person in multiple ways, rather than when I'm counseling somebody who's just a referral from some other church or the community. Um, so so basically, if I, to summarize, a counselor, preferably who has experience and training in domestic oh, yes. violence for the husband and the wife, and then an yes. advocate or accountability partner for both of them, mm-hmm. and then a pastor, and then maybe one or two other people. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah. And maybe refer out to a better intervention, uh, specialist or group, yes. yeah. a local group, if there is possible. Yeah. And I have to say that this is where I think the church can way outshine the world because mm. they, we can provide accountability. When I have seen this done well, um, I have been so amazed. And I feel like that part of the reason the statistics for, um, these guys changing is that we don't have systems in place yet. Mm. We don't have people to provide accountability, but when I've seen the churches do that, I've really seen it—it um, it makes such a difference in in the outcome.
0: Yeah, no, that's really that's really encouraging. And, and for anybody who's listening who might be hesitant or resistant, I just want to encourage you. Uh, we at the Global Biblical Counseling Coalition we had our annual leadership summit in December, and our topic was the topic of abuse. And last week I was at the Faith Lafayette Conference, and and Pastor Steve Viers, uh, his closing plenary was on the topic of abuse because he was really encouraged and inspired by what he had heard at that leadership summit. And one of the things, he had 12 points of how to uh, identify, prevent, and then respond to count to domestic violence in your church. One of those, he really encouraged people, is, is reach out to these agencies now, um, you know, Call CPS, call the local law enforcement, call the batter, the domestic violence, whatever your community has. Don't make the first contact you have with them uh, after something's happened. You know, you want to have a relationship with them beforehand so they know you, you know them, there's trust being built, there's a relationship. And I thought, man, that was, you know, Steve doesn't have a problem being gutsy, but for some people, they might be afraid to say that, and I was really encouraged that he, he really charged pastors there, he, and he specifically called out church leaders and said, you need to do this, so I was really encouraged by that. Um, so uh, we, we talked about honing in on the advocate role a little bit. Um, how can—describe that role, what it looks like for somebody to be an advocate for a victim of domestic violence?
1: Well, one thing that we hope, you know, Jesus is our advocate on high and an advocate is going to improve the outcome for someone, I believe. And so what we, our goal, especially with call at call to peace ministries, and we are training advocates is that we would help, um, the church respond ha- or have a better response to domestic abuse. But also we teach, we work with the victims and, and teach them, um, how not to, um, Well, well, I'll just say this. A lot of times what happens is because most of the folks we work with have some complex um, post-traumatic stress, we teach them how not to be so reactive. Because what will happen is, and what has happened in the past, and I think one of the reasons that the church missed it, was that perhaps they show up in counseling and they're just really angry. They're the victim, but the, the uh, perpetrators know how to be calm, cool, and collected. They were just, yeah. I don't know why she's so upset. Well, I told you, you know, and so they will look like the reasonable person mm-hmm. and the victim will look completely irrational. And so one of the things we do is work alongside the victim to teach them not to react and, and how to respond. Um, we try to help them with that uh, tra- their trauma responses, but a lot of times that's going to take getting out of the trauma, in order for them to, um, you know, to to be able to re- to respond in a better in a better way. Um, And what we have found is that usually if a marriage is going to be restored, it requires uh, separation in most cases. It just depends on the severity of the abuse. But in most cases, I've really not seen one of these situations turn around without some kind of separation. And a lot of times the church can help with that plan. But I say that it's always got to be driven by the uh, victim herself, right? She's got to be comfortable with that because we understand as as advocates that when somebody leaves a domestic violence situation, their chances of um, injury or even death increase significantly. So we have to have a safety plan in place and we can help with that safety planning. Um, and then um, another thing is that we we recognize that Most pastors don't have time to spend, you know, hundreds of hours or even scores of hours getting trained on domestic abuse. So we have that training so that we can come alongside and we can say, hey, this is the way, you know what we know about to be true about domestic violence and we can help educate the pastors and, and the other people that are involved, even the counselors. Sometimes we're hoping that you can find somebody who gets domestic abuse when it comes to counseling. But um, in my own master's degree program, we did, I didn't get a lot on domestic abuse. They, I know that they have increased that significantly now and it's still good, but I believe that domestic violence is a specialty when it comes to counseling. And I think you need to find somebody who is, Um, has that specialty. But when it comes to advocacy, um, we're going to work alongside, we're going to help make that plan to, you know, either if they want to restore the marriage, whatever it may be, we're going to help them do that in a way that maintains safety and sanity for that victim if possible and accountability for the perpetrator. And one thing too, that the advocate can do is come alongside and, you know, be a, a spokesperson for the victim. And we can, um, one thing I've always said is that um, really and truly the only person that can gauge true repentance is going to be the victim. And that is because I think that domestic violence ranges from a look to murder. So if, if, hmm there's a look that I used to get from my husband that would, that would just put me into almost paralysis. It was so scary. I knew the look and a pastor may not know that look. And so she's going to have to be the one who can say, you know what, I'm, I'm still scared, or this is the motive I see in this. And we have to take her word for it. Um, Because again, most abusive people are very good at playing a game and checking, you know, Checking all the boxes and saying, I've done everything you said. So look, yeah. why aren't we moving back together when it could still be dangerous? So we help avoid those dangers.
0: No, that's a good, that's a really good word. I think for the the pastor or the biblical counselor in a local church, one of the things that I was a big takeaway for me from uh Chris Mull's teaching, the ACBC conference a couple of years ago, our our summit this this year, and other conversations we've had is that oftentimes the first step or the things you would typically do in a, in a typical marriage counseling case are the, the exact wrong thing to do in a domestic violence case. And yes. that's where we need more education and training on this because we, all, we often say 80 to 90% of the counseling you do in the local church is going to be marriage. Um, and if you're, you're approaching every case and every couple that comes to you in this one way, and it's a domestic violence situation, it can really backfire on you. Um, so it's great like to to get the 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 pastor, the biblical counselor, but also having the advocate trained and then the advocate really helps carry a lot of that weight. Like you said, kind of being an even an interpreter, yes. a spokesperson, and and just being with that person more than uh, the pastor or counselor can be on a, on a weekly basis, really
1: yeah outline the plan and the um series of videos that um Chris and I did with IBCD, I think are they show that team approach quite a bit I don't know if you've had a chance to look at them yet but um we we talk about that because even when, with Chris who was um being the counselor for the perpetrator in that situation he wasn't going to move forward until he talked to the advocate or the count, the, the counselor for her I w- we were actually playing both in that particular vid- video series because it was a counseling video, but you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it shows that a good batterer intervention or a good intervention specialist for a perpetrator is going to always defer back to the the uh, advocate and ask, you know, what do you think is going on here with him, and how is she perceiving it? Because you'll find they are going to be completely opposite perspectives perceptions, especially in the beginning is there's no real change going on yet. And and you have to get past the, you know, the false repentance and I'm so sorry. And usually it's, I'm sorry, I got caught. but They won't say it in those words and they'll say, I'll do anything, you know, and they can look so sincerely um, repentant. And again, I think that the victim is the only one that can tell if that's for real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So who, um, who can be an advocate?
1: I think anybody can be an advocate we have a an online advocacy curriculum that's a it's a year-long curriculum and right now we have uh, mostly women mostly survivors are the advocates in you know in training but we have some pastors in there um, we have men and women I don't think that it's limited to anybody I think it's somebody who has a heart and wants to come alongside a lot of times what we find in these Courses is that um, the ones who have come to us were people who maybe if they hadn't experienced domestic abuse themselves, they had they had a loved one mm-hmm. who experienced it, or a close friend, or somebody that it just opened their eyes and they went, wow, this is incredible they realize that every system out there doesn't know how to deal with domestic abuse, including the courts, including CPS, including um, most counselors, you know, everywhere people turn, they're going to, it feels like you're hitting a brick wall in every direction that you turn when you're a victim of domestic abuse. And this is one of the reasons, you know, Call to Peace exists. We want to help improve the response within the church, but it's not just the church that's not getting it.
0: Oh, oh, that's a good uh, challenge and encouragement to to get equipped, get some training. Um, man, we could keep talking for a while, but we're running out of time. So I want to ask a couple things. You mentioned the training that you have on called the peace. Um, where can how can people connect with that or other training that's available to them to become trained as an advocate or or get even deeper into it and become equipped to counsel in this area.
1: So most state um, coalitions against domestic violence, um, and you can find that under the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, have um, training programs for advocates. I am a certified advocate with the North Carolina Coalition. Um, Usually when you sit through those, you're also going to sit through a day of politically correct indoctrination, should I say, (laughs) I don't know, but, um, ours doesn't have all that. We basically just talk about the dynamics of domestic abuse and we have, um, 12 different courses, well, 11 courses and a practicum. If you join ours and you can find information about that on the events. No under the join us tab at called to org. So that's C A L L E D and then T O dot Um, but you know, we, um, it's really, I say that this was a God, it was a providential thing. Dr. Deborah Wingfield, who does the bulk of the teaching and um, wrote the curriculum. I've just added some things and, and maybe helped her tweak a few things, but it is her curriculum. And she came into my office one day because she had just moved to our area saying that she would like to get involved. And she is a vision to raise up more advocates. And I said, me too. And I really want to do it, but I don't have time to write a curriculum. And she showed me what she had. And I thought, well, why would I write it when here it is? If you would just let me give the biblical perspective as you're teaching. And she's been gracious enough to do that. She, um, is open to that and it's been really good. I think last, last year 2019 was our first year. So we are in our second year. We've got about 80 people registered right now, and um, and I'm we're learning, we're really in our groove now, but we're learning more and more how we can um, improve this course. So um, we've already had several biblical counselors go through the training with us. So last year's course was made up of lots of biblical counselors. And that would be, I think it would be a great addition for anyone who really wants to learn more about um, how to respond to domestic abuse.
0: Oh, that's, that's really great. And then uh, you already mentioned a few resources. One was the IBD, IBCD video series that you and Chris Moles did together. And it's uh, if, if you're not familiar with their ministry and some of the resources, they have really great observation videos out there, uh, especially if you're trying to get certified you need observation hours. Um, you can check those out. They have them both in, in discs as well as on-demand online, so you can get those. But other resources um, that people should be aware of?
1: Well, um, I have a book and and my book is, um, it's really aimed towards, um, those who have been victims of domestic abuse, but it's also aimed at people helpers. So, um, and I tell my story briefly at the beginning just because I want people to understand what happens. You know, mm-hmm. for me, I always tell people it's like the frog in boiling water analogy. If you just throw them in, they would jump right out. But if yeah. you put them in and turn up the heat little by little. And so abuse is so insidious and um, it changes the way you think in the end. It changes your view of God, it changes your view of yourself. And so we talk about that. I talk about that in the book. And then I wrote a workbook. Um, actually, that was made up of, um, Bible studies that I taught, but they were based on, you know, keys to healing that God brought in my own life. And, um, I ended up using them as, um, lessons in my biblical counseling practice as well. So that, um, the call to peace work companion workbook, which goes along with the book can be very helpful if you're working with somebody who's coming out of domestic abuse. And then, um, We also have support groups because I think that support groups can be very helpful. And we have online support groups for those who um, have gone through abuse as well. Um, We're trying to get them all over the place though. And that, that would be a great resource for somebody who's coming out of it and they can contact us through the website. Um, I think that, Chris Mull's stuff is amazing. His book is great for those who want to work with perpetrators. And I love his PeaceWorks University, which is a great tool for pastors and church leaders. Um, I always say that I was telling you before we started recording, I think Chris and I are opposite ends of the coin, right? I work with Um, Victims, survivors and we have resources to train people who want to work with them. And then Chris's work is more geared towards perpetrators. So I, that's why I think I like working with him so much because I feel like that with us together, you get the whole package and we have a, we have him coming. That was a great segue.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: (laughs) We have him coming um, in April. The second he's going to be here, we're going to be doing a training for pastors and church leaders on developing a, domestic violence policy for your church and a team. And so we'll spend the whole day with pastors just talking about what that will encompass. And then we will have um our spring conference, um, that is April the 3rd and the 4th. That's a Friday night and most of Saturday. And we're going to be talking about wise responses to domestic abuse. And we'll have things like how do you avoid common pitfalls when it comes to counseling in these cases. So if you, if you're not local to the Raleigh, North Carolina area, you can also, um, watch online. We're going to have, be streaming that Lord willing. And, um, So there are lots and they're becoming more and more resources out there every single day. Um, Darby Strickland from CCEF just sent me a a manuscript that she's going to be publishing called, Is It Abuse? And I think that's going to be a great resource for just identifying and doing those screening questions like we were talking about at the beginning.
0: Oh, that's great. That's, yeah, it's good to know. Those are uh, in the works and being developed. So April 2nd through the 4th, if you're in the Raleigh area, uh, be sure to sign up for that. If you're not check it out online. And then you'll also be at a, will you be at ABC at the end of April this year?
1: Um, I don't think I'm going to make it. (laughs) Well, because we have, well, because we have, we have, have, I have a lot going
0: on and I have a lot going on
1: and well, and I have, yeah, I have a conference that I've got to go to in California right after that. But, because of our conference, I don't know, Lord willing, you know, you never know it could possibly happen, but I don't, right now, I don't know. I think so.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's good to know lots of resources. So be sure if you're listening and you're curious, want to find out more, check out, uh, called to peace.org. And that's all spelled out, no numbers in there. And if you can't spell like me, just ask Google she <laughs> or, or Siri or Alexa, they will help you. So, uh, all right. We are down to our last couple minutes on our interview. And I have a segment called two minute favorites that I forgot to tell you about, but, <laughs> <That's
1: right. laughs> but I know about it. I just thought, Oh,
0: you were just hoping I did. I was changing my, my scheme here and wasn't going to do it. So I'm going to set a timer for two minutes. I'm going to ask, start asking you questions, what your favorites are and you just answer as many as you can in two minutes. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Starting the timer now. What is your favorite food? Lobster. <laughs> what is your favorite color?
1: I always tell people purple. That's a combination of blue and purple. I don't
0: know. <laughs> All right. Those are a couple softballs. Here's a tougher one. What is your favorite word?
1: Uh, I would say love. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh least favorite word?
1: Um, hatred.
0: Okay. What is, what's your favorite candy?
1: Huh. Um, anything with dark chocolate and nuts,
0: (laughs) okay. Favorite sports team? Oh,
1: please, (laughs) (laughs) I don't care.
0: (laughs) Okay, favorite sport?
1: Um, I used to like to play tennis and softball, so that really anything that I could participate in, I'm not a sports watcher.
0: All right, (laughs) (laughs) uh, favorite book of the Bible?
1: Oh, goodness, um, all right. I stayed camped out in Psalms for several years coming out of abuse and it's very healing. So I would say Psalms right now, but I have a lot of other favorites.
0: (laughs) All right. Favorite extra biblical book.
1: You know, somebody asked me this recently and um, I said, there's a book that I have reread multiple times called practicing his presence um, by Frank Laubach and brother Lawrence, Mm -hmm. which is, I find very helpful.
0: All right. Favorite, <laughs> uh, favorite gift you've ever received?
1: Wow. Uh, probably a vacation somewhere because <laughs> I like to travel.
0: <laughs> uh, favorite gift ever given? Hmm.
1: I'm telling you, I'm stumped.
0: <laughs> oh, you're doing really well. <laughs>
1: Um, favorite gift ever given, whatever can, would make somebody smile. I don't know that it's ever the same thing, but when I can make people smile, then it's a good gift.
0: Oh, that's great. And that's a good one to end on. That wraps up our time for this, uh, this interview. So, uh, be sure if you're a BCC partner to check out the after show with, um, with Joy, we're going to talk about talking to and connecting with uh, secular agencies and state agencies and how to how to approach that. So be sure to check that out. But for now, uh, Joy, thanks so much for being with us on 1514.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of 1514. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. You can also contact us at podcast at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to Carrie Felton, our podcast producer, who arranges and coordinates these interviews, and James Wills, our podcast engineer, who does the sound editing and makes these episodes sound so great. I thank you for being with us again and hope you can join us next time on 1514.